Welcome to the Newberry Tart Podcast. Your hosts, Marcy and Jenny, are talking and drinking their way through Newberry award-winning books, past and present. Hello and welcome to the Newberry Tart Podcast. I'm Jenny. And I'm Marcy. Way back in February 2018, we conducted our first interview for this podcast with the 2016 Newberry winner, Matt De La Pena, when he came to Decatur, Georgia with Lauren Long on a book tour for their new book, Love. The quality of that audio was not amazing, and we've done our best to clean it up. So here, a bit later than we intended, is our interview with Matt De La Pena. We hope you enjoy it. Hello, how are you guys? <laughs> we are great. Thank you for being here. Um, one of the things we do on our podcast is for every book that we talk about, like we do um, an episode per book, and then we usually pick a drink to go with it. Oh, too. nice. So, nice. We, so we were going to ask you, okay. what's your favorite adult beverage if you have Well, one? I like bourbon the best, but I'm trying to switch. And recently I've had vodka dirty martini on the rocks. Because yeah. I, can't, I can't deal with the... Uh, that glass, you know? What makes it dirty? Okay, it's a little olive juice. Oh, okay. Yeah. I've always wondered that. Yeah. I'm like <laughs> no, I know. It sounds like it's it's had some promiscuity, but it's not that. <laughs> I would have guessed like pickle juice or something. Yeah, no, it's just yeah. a little olive juice and it's actually amazing. Oh, wow. Yeah, maybe tonight I will partake of this. <laughs> um, so do you have a favorite Newberry book? Or I would say... Katie Camillo. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, no, you, you know, she's she's my favorite. She won it twice. Um, but I actually think I might even say Christopher Paul, Paul Curtis, um, but, not, but Not Buddy. But Not Buddy. But Not Buddy won it. That's, that's my favorite. That book, I've never written middle grade, um, which is weird because it's a middle grade award, award. But when I read that book, I said, oh, my God, I understand the power of middle grade novels. And it made me go... I think maybe I'd rather do middle grade than YA from this point on. Um, I read that like three years ago. I haven't come through yet, but I really, it's like exciting to do middle grade. Like reading that voice, you know, it just popped. That book is incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> do you read a lot of middle grade? I do. Um, I would say I read more picture books, middle grade, and adult than YA, even though I write, I write YA. But... Um, I think I have a daughter, she's three and a half, so we read obviously a lot of picture books, but she's getting into chapter books, like, are you guys familiar with Katie Camillo's, like, oh, yeah, Mercy Watson, <laughs> yeah. and then, you know, the little offshoot of that, Leroy, the guy who thinks he's a cowboy, they're like a little older than the Mercy Watsons, um, and my favorite is Where Are You Going, Baby Lincoln, okay. um, yeah, so, I like those, um, Inside Out and Back Again is one of my favorite oh, books beautiful. I've ever read, yeah. um, I know that was a Newberry honor, right? Do you find that you pay more attention to like what's winning or what you think might win now that you've won? Yes. You know what? I, I will tell you. Obviously, I would never take anything back. <laughs> but I will tell you, it was a beautiful place I was in before because I was ignorant to awards. Um, I didn't think about YA awards. I didn't think about any awards. I just would go to sleep that night before and not even know that the ALA awards were going to get announced. So this has changed things. <laughs> Do you have any front runners in mind for this year, since it's so soon? Oh, man. I don't know about the Newberry. In terms of the Caldecott, uh, well, this isn't a Caldecott. Is this illegal? Is this illegal what I'm doing? No, um, not at all. Dan Santat's <laughs> book I really like, oh, The yeah. After the Fall. 
Book of Mistakes is kind of like the one I'm rooting for because mm -hmm. I, I love that um, illustrator. I think she's amazing. So yeah, those are two that I'm kind of like have my eye on. I also, you know, it's a weird thing. You, you feel like you're on a team when you have an agent who has great um, artists and, and writers. So my agent had me, had the Newberry that came after mine, um, the girl who drank the moon, right? Is that what it's called? Um, he has John Clausen. He has just he has Christian Robinson. So yeah, so like I kind of root for my home, my team. You know what I mean? That's a great team. Yeah, it's a pretty darn good team. And Lauren Long, Lauren Long's a yeah. He's the guy I'm kind of rooting for. I'll, I'll tell you that. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Um, you talked about your immediate response to hearing that you won the Newberry yeah. and how you thought it was a mistake at first or a mix-up yeah. of the Caldecott. Um, now that the disbelief has had time to fade a little, how do you feel about having won? So I think I've owned it now, you know? <laughs> and I think the biggest thing is you just have to understand, because we all have the imposter syndrome, you know, like, wow, are they sure that was the right decision? But I think what happens is you realize Every different committee would choose probably a different book, you know. Maybe there are a couple years where there's a book that's kind of like, okay, most committees might lean that way. I had the one committee that that thought, you know what, let's go outside the box here and, and let's, let's consider a picture book. I know that they did have to ask for it. It wasn't submitted, you know. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, I mean, I feel like they... They knew they were taking a risk, so I feel like they were pretty comfortable with their choice in terms of that risk. So I feel better about it now. It was hard for me to process at the beginning, you know? But now, I mean, obviously it was a great thing for my life and my career, but it's funny. I like to read this book out loud because I read it like, I, I recite it. I recite it like a spoken word poem. And I feel like when I do that, people see it in a new way because they, they hear the sounds the way I sort of planted them, you know, and, and I feel like it's a different experience. Well, and that's what I was curious about your experience writing, um, writing the book just kind of as a side note. Yeah. Um, because it is, it is, to me, it reads as a poem. Yeah. And that's nothing, not a new observation, but um, I was just curious about your experience with poetry. So, yeah, I mean, I grew up as a spoken word poet. Um, that's what I did all through high school all through college um, I actually had this thing in college they called it the poets corner where even though I was on a I was on a basketball scholarship so it was kind of weird that this basketball player was doing this poets corner but they would let me every week write a poem in the school newspaper and it was all spoken word poems yeah did you happen to go to school in the 90s yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's totally nineties. Yeah. <laughs> why? Why do you? Ask no, because I did too. Oh, yeah. And yeah. so, and it's spoken, spoken word, word became this huge thing, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, um, yeah, mm. to take it off the page. I don't even know if they call it spoken word anymore. I think everybody calls it slam. Yeah, they yeah. call it slam now. Yeah. So, yeah. So I guess I'm I'm dating myself. Well, because I do go into high schools and I'm like, does anybody do spoken word like I did? And they're like. <laughs> And I'm like slam, and they're like, oh yeah. We do. <laughs> I think also they might sometimes. Um, it's called cipher. Wow. That's what, what I'm picking a up. New this thing. Is new. That's what I'm picking up. But I think that's almost like a. Um, that might be kind of a rap version of wow. the spoken. How and cool I may be that? getting that wrong because okay. I am an old now too. Not you're, really cool. you're not old, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're getting old. <laughs> we are. No um, joke. No yeah. Joke. Um, so, uh, but I know through some friends, I know about cipher battles and stuff. Yeah. So. 
Your face. Your face. I'm in touch with the youth culture. I loved what you said in your recent interview with NPR about how you felt the need to acknowledge that um, sense of adversity yes, in the world yes. and how that's it's so prevalent, especially right now. Um, but it felt like you were saying that that was more in a response to like the need to be honest with your daughter. Yeah. But your other books have felt like that too. Um, so has has anything changed for you now that you've had children as far as that feeling or did it just reinforce that it's important to do what you were yeah, already doing? I think it, it's shown me how hard it is to do as a parent. I think um, it's easier when you're a writer and, you, and you're just trying to make the best story and tell the truth. It's easier to acknowledge adversity, especially I was doing YA a lot. In Last of All Market Street, I wrote it before my daughter was born. So it was easier to like say, hey, this kid doesn't have much, you know. Um, it was kind of like natural because the story called for it. When you have a daughter, I think it's harder to tell the truth because you want to protect your, your chil our children. And so I think it, I had to like make a choice. Before I was choosing to tell the truth as opposed to softening something that might actually help me financially. Like it would be available in more avenues, such as this classic book fair. Um, when you have a daughter or when you have a child, I think you suddenly are thinking, well, this is almost to her. Can I tell her this? Can I tell her that there are going to be times where you find your family, meaning me and my wife, at the TV and using our hand to keep her away from it so she doesn't see and I was like can I do that and I think when you become on a writer or any kind of artist I think you just have to make that commitment to the truth so that was that was a little bit different than one before I had a, a child but I think I realized hey you know what I, I think I owe it to the to the truth and to make the best most honest piece of work subject of last uh, stop on Market Street, do you think the book's being celebrated for its diversity comes from the simple fact that it portrays culturally diverse characters, or because CJ's learning to change the way he sees the world so it can be easily applied to the change we wish we could see in the book's readers as far as em uh, fostering empathy for those from culturally and socioeconomically diverse backgrounds? Yeah, so where, where do I think it's coming from, like what the connection is? So I am hoping that this is what it is. Um, well, first of all, I'm a working class warrior. Like every book I write is about the working class. And so, of course, I turn to the working class in the picture book. But I also think that I call it the new diversity. Traditionally, a book like this with an African-American main character would be about the Underground Railroad. You know, it'd be about a Malcolm X or um, Martin Luther King, right? Or a boxer, like I did my first book, is about Joe Lewis, uh, first picture book. So this is a book that features a diverse character in a storyline that isn't overtly about diversity. And I think, I'm hoping that that's catching on, and I, I do think it is. Um, so I hope that that's actually what it is. It's like, hey, here we have an example of a character and a population that isn't represented enough in literature, but it's really not about that even though it's all about that. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, kind of a, um, a 
detokenizing or a de exactly the focus off it being an issues book yes just to get the attention and actually having more diverse casts of characters yep. that are doing regular things because that's how people live their lives yep well, I mean, and you can totally imagine any other ethnicity like substituted in, like it's a universal thing. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a black family, it works wonderfully. Yeah, except for, I will tell you, there's no find and replace on race on your computer or keyboard. Right. Because basically, when I wrote the book, it was a half Mexican kid with my Mexican grandmother. But then I met Christian's grandmother at the same time I met him for the first time. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I have to bend to him. So I actually had to start the book over, and now all of a sudden little decisions like where do they sit on the bus, they become more important, and there's echoes of, of like history in in the grandmother's choice of where they sit. So it changes, you know. Did you speak with her and with him? Nope. Okay. I just basically took my own experience of the bus, and I just went into his world mentally, you know. And and I grew up, you know, I grew up playing basketball and all my teammates were african-american so i just grew up in the, that world um but that was a big decision you know and and part of me was like can i do this but then i thought okay i'm gonna be as truthful as i can and then i have christian doing the art so he's doing half the work you know and and it, it felt like the right decision All right, so we may lose your audience here. Um, I've never, <laughs> I've never read uh, Harry Potter. I'm saving it for my daughter. Yeah, as a matter of fact, my daughter's name came from uh, an adult writer sent me a Spanish limerick, and the word moon was in there, and I was like, God, Luna is such a beautiful word, and then I was like, I wonder if anybody, my daughter or my my wife was eight months pregnant, and I was like. I wonder if anybody names their kids Luna. And I saw it on the name database, like 638. And then I asked my wife, I was like, do you think it would be cool? Do you think we could do Luna? And I thought we were in for a battle. I had all these like reinforcements ready. And she was like, done. So it was crazy. Yeah. So not Harry Potter, but came from literature. Yep. Yep. Um, I guess I am. I have one last question sure. before we want to ask you about love. Okay. I just wanted to know if anything stood out about your Newberry, Caldecott, Wild, Wilder Banquet experience or mm. the year that you were kind of the reigning medal winner. Um, that banquet was very, very scary. Uh, it was probably the scariest speaking thing I've ever done. I was very nervous because everybody's dressed up and that's not the world I come from. Um, so I felt like I had to undercut it early, so I think I cursed in the first minute on purpose, so that I could just be like, I'm, this isn't my world, I don't know how to act. Um, but Sophie Blackall is an amazing woman, and she was so graceful, and then I'm sitting next to a legend, you know, Jerry Pinkney, so it was pretty crazy. Um, but I was nervous also because I was going to tell publishing what I really believed, and it wasn't beautiful, it wasn't you know, lofting up publishing as this beautiful thing that's uh, faultless. And I was like, gosh, how is that going to be received? And it was amazing. People were like, well, we, you know, some, some people agreed. Some people didn't totally agree, but were respectful about it. So I had an amazing experience. And I also knew I'm probably never going to give this speech again. So I'm going to say the things. <laughs> it was a great speech. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm glad it's over. <laughs>
one little note. My dad, before the thing, he, he knows, you know, he's not a b big book guy. He comes up to me and he goes, are you nervous? And I said, yes. And he goes, let's go have one shot of tequila, not two. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So that was my fuel. <laughs> yeah. Look, if you could just tell us a little bit about love. Yeah. So love is is totally a reaction to the, uh, you know, the divisiveness in this country. And I just wanted to write a love poem to, to our youth. In a weird way, it's almost like childhood is the narrator. And so, saying, hey, young people, this is what you have in store. And um, it's been an, it's an interesting book because it's not, um, we're not following one single character. It's more the evolution of love in children, the life of a child. And, um, we wanted it to be as inclusive as possible. We land on this big moment where the child or one of the children in the book looks in the mirror and the whole page is, a, is just one face. And Lauren and I talked about it has to be a brown face. And that's a direct reaction to what's going on. You know, like, you know, that's our the safety pin mo moment was kind of silly to me. But that's my form of activism, you know, so. And I, I think when we go to schools where it's heavily Hispanic and African-American, like the school I went to when I was young, um, I tell them, I say, you got to look at yourself and you got to find love in you. You know, that's the most important thing you can do before you go into the world. Did you see it in the book? I mean, that legitimizes that. Yeah, just so absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This was fun. Thank you so, so absolutely. much. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for thanks for squeezing me in. <laughs> <laughs> assistance for Newberry Tart is provided by Raphael Siebenman and Liam Grove. Graphic design by Liz Mytinger. Intro and outro by Ariana Hargrave. Theme music for this podcast is provided by the laid-back and local Throckmorton Ukulele Band. You can hear more of their music on Facebook. Find more Newberry Tart episodes at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Our website is Newberry Tart. That's N-E-W-B-E-R-Y-T-A-R-T dot com.